0: Book one, chapter seven of The Cathedral by Hugh Walpole. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter seven, Ronder's Day. Ronder had now spent several months in Polchester and was able to come to an opinion about it, and the opinion that he had come to was that he could be very comfortable there. His aunt, who, in spite of her sharpness, never was sure how he would take anything, was a little surprised when he told her this. But then she was never certain what were the secret springs from which he derived that sense of comfort that was the centre of his life. She should have known by now that he derived it from two things—luxury and the possibility of intrigue polchester could not have appeared to any casual observer a luxurious town but it had for ronder exactly that combination of beauty and mystery that obtained for him his sensation he did not analyse it as yet further than that he knew that those two things were there he might investigate them at his leisure in that easy smiling fashion that he had developed from his earliest days as the surest protection for his own security and ease he arranged everything around him to assure his tranquillity everything was not as yet arranged it might take him six months a year two years for that arrangement but he knew now that it would be done the second element in his comfort his love of intrigue would be satisfied here simply because everything was not as yet as he would have it he would have hated to have tumbled into the place and found it just as he required it he liked to have things to move to adjust to arrange just as when he entered a room he always if he had the power at once altered the chairs the cushions it was towards this final adjustment that his power of intrigue always worked. Once everything was adjusted he sank back luxuriously and surveyed it, and then, in all probability, was quickly tired of it, and looked for new fields to conquer. He could not remember a time when he had not been impelled to alter things for his comfort. He did not wish to be selfish about this—he was quite willing for everyone else to do the same indeed he watched them with geniality and wondered why on earth they didn't as a small boy at harrow he had with an imperturbable smile and a sense of humour that in spite of his rotund youth and a general sense among his elders that he was cheeky won him popularity worked always for his own comfort he secured it and first as fag and afterwards as house prefect finally as school prefect did exactly what he wanted with everybody. He did it by being, quite frankly, all things to all men, although never with sycophancy nor apparent falseness. He amused the bored, was confidential with the wicked, upright with the upright, and sympathetic with the unfortunate. He was quite genuine in all these things. He was deeply interested in humanity, not for humanity's sake, but his own. He bore no man any grudge, but if any one was in his way, he worked hard until they were elsewhere. That removal attained, he wished them all the luck in the world. He was ordained because he thought he could deal more easily with men as a parson. Men always take clergymen for fools, he told his aunt, and so they sometimes are, but not always.' He knew he was not a fool, but he was not conceited. He simply thought that he had hit upon the one secret of life and could not understand why others had not done the same. Why do people worry so? was the amused speculation. Deep emotions are simply not worth while, he decided on his coming of age. He liked women, but his sense of humor prevented him from falling in love he really did understand the sensual habits and desires of men and women but watched them from a distance through books and pictures and other men's stories he was shocked by nothing nor did he despise mankind he thought that mankind did on the whole very well considering its difficulties he was kind and often generous he bore no man alive or dead any grudge he refused absolutely to quarrel waste of time and temper his one danger was lest that passion for intrigue should go deeper than he allowed anything to go. Playing chess with mankind was to him, he declared, simply a means to an end. Perhaps once it had been so, but as he grew older there was a danger that the end should be swallowed by the means. This danger he did not perceive. It was his one blindness.' finally he believed with la rochefoucauld that pity is a passion which is wholly useless to a well-constituted mind at any rate he discovered that there was in polchester a situation exactly suited to his powers the town or the cathedral part of it was dominated by one man and that man a stupid autocratic retrogressive good-natured child he bore that child not the slightest ill-will but it must go or at any rate its authority must be removed he did indeed like brandon and through most of this affair he did not cease to like him but he ronder would never be comfortable so long as brandon was there he would never be free to take the steps that seemed to him good he would be interfered with and patronized he was greatly amused by brandon's patronage but it really was not a thing that could be allowed to remain if he saw as he made his plans that the man's heart and soul his life physical and spiritual were involved well he was sorry it simply proved how foolish it was to allow your heart and soul to be concerned in anything he very quickly perceived that the first thing to be done was to establish relations with the men who composed the chapter. He watched, he listened, he observed. Then, at the end of some months, he began to move. Many men would have considered him lazy. He never took exercise, if he could avoid it, and it was Polchester's only fault that it had so many hills. He always had breakfast in bed, read the papers there, and smoked a cigarette every morning he had a bath as hot as he could bear it and he could bear it very hot indeed much of his best thinking was done there when he came downstairs he reserved the first hour for his own reading reading that is that had nothing to do with any kind of work that was purely for his own pleasure he allowed nothing whatever to interfere with this gautier and flaubert la Breuille and montaigne were his favourite authors but he read a great deal of english italian and spanish and had a marvellous memory he enjoyed too erotic literature and had a fine collection of erotic books and prints shut away in a cabinet in his study he found great fascination in theological books he laughed at many of them but kept an open mind atheistic and materialistic dogmas seemed to him as absurd as orthodox ones he read too a great deal of philosophy but on the whole he despised men who gave themselves up to philosophy more than any other human beings he felt that they lost their sense of humour so quickly and made life unpleasant for themselves after this hour of reading he gave himself up to the work of the day he was the most methodical of men the desk in his study was full of little drawers and contrivances for keeping things in order he had a thin vase of blue glass filled with flowers a small chinese image of green jade a photograph of the blind homer from the naples museum in a silver frame and a little gold clock all these things had to be in their exact correct positions nothing worried him so much as dust or any kind of disorder he would sometimes stop in the middle of his work and cross the room in the soft slippers of brown kid that he always wore in his study and put some picture straight or move some ornament from one position to another the books that stretched along one wall from floor to ceiling were arranged most carefully according to their subjects. He disliked to see some books projecting further from the shelf than others, and with a little smile of protest, as though he were giving them a kindly scolding, he would push them into their right places. Let it not be supposed, however, that he was idle during these hours. He could accomplish an astonishing amount of work in a short time and he was never idle except by deliberate intention when luncheon-time arrived he was ready to be charming to his aunt and charming to her he was their relations were excellent she understood him so well that she left his schemes alone if she did not entirely approve of him and she entirely approved of nobody she loved him for his good company his humour and his common sense she liked it, too, that he did not mind, when she chose to allow her irony to play upon him. He cared nothing for any irony. At luncheon they felt a very agreeable intimacy. There was no need for explanations. Half allusions were enough. They could enjoy their joke without emphasizing it, and sometimes even without expressing it. Miss Ronder knew that her nephew liked to hear all the gossip, he collected it, tied it into little packets, and put them away in the little mechanical contrivances with which his mind was filled. She told him first what she heard, then her authorities, finally her own opinions. He thoroughly enjoyed his meal. He had by now very thoroughly mastered the cathedral finances. They were not complicated, and were in good order, because Hart Smith had been a man of an orderly mind. "'Ronder very quickly discovered that Brandon had had his fingers considerably in the old pie. "'And now there'll be a new pie,' he said to himself, "'baked by me.' He traced a number of stupid and conservative decisions to Brandon's agency. There was no doubt but that many things needed a new urgency and activity. People had had to fight desperately for money when they should have been given it at once—' On the other hand, the cathedral had been well looked after. It was rather dependent bodies like the school, the almshouses, and various livings in the chapter grant that had suffered. Anything that could possibly be considered a novelty had been fought and generally defeated. "'There will be a lot of novelties before i finished with them,' Ronder said to himself. He started his investigation by paying calls on Bentick Major and Canon Foster. Bentick Major lived at the top of Orange Street in a fine house with a garden, and Foster lived in one of four tumble-down buildings behind the cathedral, known from time immemorial as Cannon's Yard. The afternoon of his visit was about three days after a dinner-party at the castle. He had seen and heard enough at that dinner to amuse him for many a day. He considered it to have been one of the most entertaining dinners at which he had ever been present it had been here that he had heard for the first time of the Pious st anthony living brandon had been present and he observed brandon's nervousness and gathered enough to realize that this would be a matter of considerable seriousness he was to know a great deal more about it before the afternoon was over as he walked through the town on the way to orange street he came upon ryle the precentor ryle looked the typical clergyman tall but not too tall, here a smile and there a smile, with his soft black hat, his trousers too baggy at the knees, his boots and his gold watch-chain both too large. He cared with serious devotion for the cathedral music, and sang the services beautifully, but he would have been able to give more time to his work were he not so continuously worrying as to whether people were vexed with him or no his idea of paradise was a place where he could chant eternal services, and where everybody liked him. He was a good man, but weak, and therefore driven again and again into insincerity. It was as though there was forever in front of him the consciousness of some secret in his past life that must on no account be discovered. But, poor man, he had no secret at all.' well precentor and how are you said ronder beaming at him over his spectacles ryle started ronder had come behind him he liked the look of ronder he always preferred fat men to thin they were much less malicious he thought oh thank you canon ronder very well thank you i didn't see you quite spring weather are you going my way i'm off to see bentick major oh yes bentick major ryle's first thought was now is Bentick major likely to have anything to say against me this afternoon i'm going up orange street too it's the high school governor's meeting you know oh yes of course the two men started up the hill together ronder surveyed the scene around him with pleasure orange street always satisfied his aesthetic sense it was the street of the doctors the solicitors the dentists the bankers and the wealthier old maids of polchester the grey stone was of a charming age the houses with their bow windows their pillared porches their deep-set doors their gleaming old-fashioned knockers spoke eloquently of the day when the great jane's elizabeth's and Darcys, mrs morris's and miss bates found the world in a teacup when passions were solved by matrimony and ambitions by the possession of a carriage and a fine pair of bays but more than this was the way that the gardens and lawns and orchards ran unchecked in and out up and down here breaking into the street there crowding a church with apple-trees seeming to speak at every step of leisure and sunny days and lives free of care ronder had never seen anything so pretty something seemed to tell him that he would never see anything so pretty again ryle was not a good conversationalist because he had always before him the fear that someone might twist what he said into something really unpleasant but indeed he found ronder so agreeable that as he told mrs ryle when he got home he never noticed the hill at all i hope you won't think me impertinent said ronder, but i must tell you how charmed i was with the way you sang the service on sunday you must have been complimented often enough before but a stranger always has the right i think to say something i'm a little critical too of that kind of thing although of course an amateur but well it was delightful ryle flushed with pleasure to the very tips of his over-large ears oh really canon but indeed i hardly know what to say "'You're too good. I do my poor best, but I can't help feeling that there is danger of one's becoming stale. I've been here a great many years now, and I think some one fresh—' "'Well, often,' said Ronder, "'that is the danger. I know several cases where a change would be all for the better. But in your case there wasn't a trace of staleness. I do hope you won't think me presumptuous in saying this. I couldn't help myself.' i must congratulate you too on the choir how do you find brockett as an organist not quite all one would wish said ryle eagerly and then as though he remembered that some one might repeat this to brockett he added hurriedly not that he doesn't do his best he's an excellent fellow every one has their faults it's only that he's a little too fond of adventures on his own account likes to add things on the spur of the moment a little fantastic sometimes quite so said ronder gravely that's rather what i'd thought myself i noticed it once or twice last sunday but that's a fault on the right side the boys behave admirably i never saw better behaviour ryle was now in his element he let himself go explaining this defending that apologising for one thing hoping for another before he knew where he was he found himself at the turning above the monument that led to the high school here we part he said why so we do cried ronder i do hope said ryle nervously that you'll come and see us soon mrs ryle will be delighted why of course i will said ronder any day you like goodbye goodbye and he went to bentick majors one look at bentic major's garden told a great deal about bentic major the flower-beds the trim over green lawn the neat paths the trees in their fitting places all spoke not only of a belief in material things but a desire also to demonstrate that one so believed one expected indeed to see the bentic major arms over the front door they were there in spirit if not in fact is the canon in ronder asked of a small and gaping page-boy he was in it appeared would he see canon ronder the page-boy disappeared and ronder was able to observe three family trees framed in oak a large china bowl with visiting cards and a huge round-faced clock that even as he waited there pompously announced that half hour Presently the cannon, like a shining Ganymede, came flying into the hall. "'My dear Ronder, but this is delightful. A little early for tea, perhaps. Indeed, my wife is for the moment out. What do you say to the library?' Ronder had nothing to say against the library, and into it they went. A fine room, with books and leather bindings, high windows, and oil painting of the cannon as a smart young curate, a magnificent writing-table, the spectator and the church times near the fireplace, and two deep leather armchairs. Into these last two the clergymen sank. Bentick Major put his fingers together, crossed his admirable legs, and looked interrogatively at his visitor. "'I'm lucky to catch you in at home,' said Ronder. "'This isn't quite the time to call, I'm afraid, but the fact is that I want some advice.' "'Quite so,' said his host i'm not a very modest man said ronder laughing in fact to tell you the truth i don't believe very much in modesty but there are times when it's just as well to admit one's incompetence this is one of them why really Canon?" said bentinck major wishing to give the poor man encouragement no but i mean what i say i don't consider myself a stupid man but when one comes fresh into a place like this there are many things that one can't know and that one must learn from some one wiser than oneself if one's to do any good oh really canon bentick major repeated if there's anything i can do well there is it isn't so much about the actual details of the work that i want your advice Hart Smith has left things in excellent condition and i only hope that i shall be able to keep everything as straight as he has done what i really want from you is some sort of bird's-eye view as to the whole situation the chapter for instance of course i've been here for some months now and have a little idea as to the people in the place but you've been here so long that there are many things that you can tell me now for instance said Bentick major looking very wise and serious what kind of things i don't want you to tell me any secrets said ronder i only want your opinion as a man of the world as to how things stand what really wants doing who beside yourself are the leading men here and in what directions they work i needn't say that this conversation is confidential oh of course of course "'Now, I don't know if I'm wrong, but it seems from what I've seen during the short time that I've been here, that the general point of view is inclined to be a little too local. I believe you rather feel that yourself, although I may be prejudiced, coming straight as I have from London.' "'It's odd that you should mention that, Canon said Bentick Major. "'You've put your finger on the weak spot at once. You're only saying what I've been crying aloud for the last ever so many years.' a voice in the wilderness i've been i'm afraid a voice in the wilderness although perhaps i have managed to do a little something but there's no doubt that the men here excellent though they are are a little provincial what else can you expect they've been here for years they have not had most of them the advantage of mingling with the great world that i should have had a little more of that opportunity than my fellows here is nothing to my credit but it does, beyond question, give one a wider view. A, a wider view. There's our dear bishop, for instance. A saint, if ever there was one. A saint, Ronder, I assure you. But there he is, hidden away at Carpleton. Out of things, I'm afraid, although, of course, he does his best. Then there's Sampson. Well, I hardly need to tell you that he's not quite the man to make things hum. Not by his own fault, I assure you he does his best but we are as we're made yes we can only use the gifts that god has given us and god has not undoubtedly given the dean quite the gifts that we need here he paused and waited he was a cautious man and weighed his words then there's brandon said ronder smiling there if i may say so is a splendid character a man who gives his whole life and energy for the good of the place who spares himself nothing there was a little pause bentick major took advantage of it to look graver than ever he strikes you like that does he he said at last well in many ways i think you're right brandon is a good friend of mine I may say that he thoroughly appreciates what I've done for this place, but he is, quite between ourselves, how shall I put it, um, just a little autocratic. Perhaps that's too strong a word, but he is, some think, a little too inclined to fancy that he runs the cathedral.' "'That, mind you, is only the opinion of some here, and I don't know that I should entirely associate myself with it, but perhaps there is something in it. He is, as you can see, a man of strong will, and again between ourselves, of a considerable temper. This will not, I'm sure, go further than ourselves.' "'Absolutely not,' said Ronder.' "'Things have been a little slack here for several years, "'and although I've done my own little best, "'what is one against so many, if you understand what I mean?' Oh, "'Quite,' said Ronder. "'Well, nobody could call Brandon an unenergetic man, "'quite the reverse. "'And, to put it frankly, to oppose him one needs courage. "'Now, I may say that I've opposed him on a number of occasions, "'but have had no backing.' brandon when he's angry is no light opponent and the result has been that he's had i'm afraid a great deal of his own way you're afraid said ronder Bentick major seemed a little nervous at being caught up so quickly he looked at ronder suspiciously his voice was sharper than it had been oh i like brandon don't make any mistake about that he and i together have done some excellent things here "'In many ways he's admirable. "'I don't know what I'd have done sometimes without his backing. "'All I mean is that he is perhaps a little hasty sometimes.' "'Quite,' said Ronder. "'I can't tell you how you've helped me by what you've told me. "'I'm sure you're right in everything you've said. "'If you were to give me a tip then, "'you'd say that I couldn't do better than follow Brandon? "'I'll remember that.' "'Well, no,' said Benton Major rather hastily, "'I don't know that I'd quite say that, either. "'Brandon is often wrong. "'I'm not sure, either, that he has quite the influence he had. "'That silly little incident of the elephant the other day. "'You heard that, didn't you? "'Well, a trivial thing, but one saw, by the way, "'that the town took it that the archdeacon isn't quite where he was.' i agree with him entirely in his policy to keep things as they always have been that's the only way to save our church in my opinion as soon as they tell me an idea's new that's enough for me i'm down on it at once but what i do think is that his diplomacy is often faulty he rushes at things like a bull exactly like a bull a little too confident always no if you won't think me conceited and i believe i'm a modest man you couldn't do better than come to me talk things over with me you know i'm sure we'll see alike about many things oh, i'm sure we will said ronder thank you very much as you've been so kind i'm sure you won't mind my asking you a few questions i hope i'm not keeping you from anything "'Not at all, not at all,' said Bentick Major very graciously, and stretched his plump little body back into the armchair. "'Ask as many questions as you like, and I'll do my best to answer them.' Ronder did then, during the next half-hour, ask a great many questions, and he received a great many answers. The answers may not have told him overmuch about the things that he wanted to know, but they did tell him a great deal about Bentick Major.' the clock struck four. Ronder got up. "'You don't know how you've helped me,' he said. "'You've told me exactly what I wanted to know. Thank you so very much.' Bentick Major looked gratified. He had, in fact, thoroughly enjoyed himself. "'Oh, but you'll stay and have some tea, won't you? I'm afraid I can't do that. I've got a pretty busy afternoon still in front of me.' "'My wife will be so disappointed.' YOU'LL LET ME COME ANOTHER DAY, WON'T YOU? OF COURSE, OF COURSE. THE canon HIMSELF ACCOMPANIED HIS GUEST INTO THE HALL AND OPENED THE FRONT DOOR FOR HIM. ANY TIME, ANY TIME THAT I CAN HELP YOU. THANK YOU SO VERY MUCH. GOOD-BYE, GOOD-BYE, GOOD-BYE. SO FAR, SO GOOD, BUT RONDER WAS AWARE THAT HIS NEXT VISIT WOULD BE QUITE ANOTHER AFFAIR, AND SO INDEED IT PROVED. To reach Cannon's Yard from Orange Street, Ronder had to go down through Green Lane, past the orchards, and up by a steep path into Bodger Street, and the small houses that have clustered for many years behind the cathedral. Here once was St. Margaret's Monastery utterly swept away until not a stone remained by Henry VIII's servants. St. Margaret's only memory lingers in the St. Margaret's Hostel for Women at the top of Bodger Street and even that has now a worn and desolate air as though it were on the edge of departure in truth this part of polchester is neglected and forgotten it has not sunk like seatown into dirt and degradation it has still an air of romance and colour but the life is gone from it cannon's yard is behind the hostel and is a little square shut-in cobbled place with tall thin houses closing it in and the cathedral towers overhanging it rooks and bells and the rattle of carts upon the cobbles make a perpetual clatter here and its atmosphere is stuffy and begrimed when the cathedral chimes ring they echo from house to house from wall to wall so that it seems as though the bells of a hundred cathedrals were ringing here nevertheless from the high windows of the yard there is a fine view of orchards and hills and distant woods a view not to be despised the house in which canon foster had his rooms is one of the oldest of all the houses the house was kept by one mrs Maddis, who had run rooms for the clergy ever since her first marriage when she was a pretty blushing girl of twenty she was now a hideous old woman of eighty and the house was managed by her married daughter mrs crumpleton there were three floors and there should have been three clergymen but for some time the bottom floor had been empty and the middle apartments were let to transient tenants they were at this moment inhabited by a retired sea-captain. Foster reigned on the top floor, and was quite oblivious of neighbours, landlady's tidiness and the view. He cared, by nature, for none of these things. Ronder climbed up the dirty, dark staircase and knocked on the old oak door that had upon it a dirty visiting-card with Foster's name when he ceased his climb and the noise of his footsteps fell away there was a great silence not a sound could be heard the bells were not chiming the rooks were not cawing it was not as yet their time nor was the voice of mrs crumpleton to be heard shrill and defiant as was too often the case the house was dead the town was dead had the world itself suddenly died like a candle whose light is put out "'Foster would not have cared. "'Ronder knocked three times with the knob of his walking-stick. "'The man must be out. "'He was about to turn away and go when the door suddenly opened, "'as though by a secret life of its own, "'and the pale-face and untidy person of the canon, "'like the apparition of a surprised and indignant revenant, "'was apparent. "'May I come in for a moment?' said Ronder. "'I won't keep you long.' "'Foster stared at his visitor, said nothing, opened the door a little wider, and stood aside. "'Ronder accepted this as an invitation, and came in. "'You'd better come into the other room,' said Foster, looking about him, "'as though he had been just ruthlessly awakened from an important dream. "'They passed through a little passage and an untidy sitting-room into the study.' This was a place piled high with books, and its only furniture was a deal table and two straw-bottomed chairs. At the table Foster had obviously been working. Books lay about it, and papers, and there was also a pile of manuscript. Foster looked around him, caught his large ears in his fingers, and cracked them, and then suddenly said, "'You'd better sit down. What can I do for you?' Ronder sat down it was at once apparent that whatever the state of the rooms might be his reluctant host was suddenly very wide awake indeed he felt what he had known from the very first meeting that he was in contact here with a man of brain of independence of character his capacity for amused admiration that was one of the strongest things in him was roused to the full Another thing that he had also by now perceived was that Foster was not that type, by now so familiar to us in the pages of French and English fiction, of the lost and bewildered old clergyman whose long nose has been for so many years buried in dusty books that he is unable to smell the real world. Foster was neither lost nor bewildered. He was very much all there. What could he do for Ronder? "'Ronder was, for a moment, uncertain. "'Here he was happy to think he must go with the greatest care. "'He did not smile as he had smiled upon Bentick Major. "'He spoke to Foster as to an equal. "'I can see you're busy,' he said. "'All the same, I'm not going to apologize for coming. "'I'll tell you frankly that I want your help. "'At the same time, I'll tell you that I don't care "'whether you give it me or no.' "'In what way can I help you?' said Foster, coldly. "'There's to be a chapter meeting in a few days' time, isn't there? "'Honestly, I haven't been here quite long enough yet to know how things stand. "'Questions may come up, although there's nothing very important this time, I believe, "'but there may be important things brewing. "'Now, you've been here a great many years, "'and you have your opinion of how things should go. "'I want your idea of some of the conditions.' "'You've come to spy out the land, in fact.' "'Put it that way, if you like,' said Ronder seriously, "'although I don't think spying is exactly the word. You're perfectly at liberty, I mean, to tell anybody that I've been to see you, and to repeat to anybody what I say. It simply is that I don't care to take on all the work that's being shoved on to my shoulders without getting the views of those who know the place well.' "'Oh, if it's my views you want,' cried Foster, suddenly raising his voice, and almost shouting, "'they're easy enough to discover. They are simply that everything here is abominable, going to rack and ruin. Now, you know what I think.' He looked down at his manuscript as much as to say, "'Well, good afternoon.' "'Going to ruin in what way?' asked Ronder. "'In the way that the country is going to ruin, because it has turned its back upon God.' There was a pause. Suddenly Foster flung out, "'Do you believe in God, Canon Ronder?' "'I think,' said Ronder, "'the fact that I'm in the position I'm in.' "'Nonsense,' interrupted Foster. "'That's anybody's answer. You don't look like a spiritual man.' "'I'm fat, if that's what you mean,' said Ronder, smiling. "'That's my misfortune.' "'If I've been rude,' said Foster more mildly, "'forgive me. I am rude these days. I've given up trying not to be. The truth is that I'm sick to the heart with all their worldliness, shams, lies, selfishness, idleness. You may be better than they, you may not. I don't know. If you've come here determined to wake them all up and improve things, then I wish you Godspeed. But you won't do it. You needn't think you will. If you've come like the rest to get what you can out of it, then I don't think you'll find my company good for you.' I certainly haven't come to wake them up, said Ronder. I don't believe that to be my duty. I'm not made that way, nor can I honestly believe things to be as bad as you say. But I do intend, with God's help, to do my best. If that's not good enough for you, then you must abandon me to my fate. Foster seemed to appreciate that. He nodded his head. "'That's honest, at any rate,' he said. "'It's the first honest thing I've heard here for a long time, except from the bishop. "'To tell you the truth, I had thought you were going to work in with Brandon, one more of his sheep. "'If that were to be so, the less we saw of one another, the better.' "'I have not been here long enough,' said Ronder, "'to think of working in with anybody, "'and I don't wish to take sides. "'There's my duty to the cathedral. "'I shall work for that, and let the rest go.' "'There's your duty to God,' said Foster vehemently. "'That's the thing that everybody hears forgotten.' "'But you don't sound as though you'll go Brandon's way. "'That's something in your favor. "'Why should one go Brandon's way?' Ronder asked. "'Why? Why? Why? Why do sheep huddle together when the dog barks at their heels?' "'But I respect him. Don't you mistake me. He's a man to be respected.' He's got courage, he cares for the cathedral, he's a hundred years behind, that's all. He's read nothing, he knows nothing, he's a child, and does infinite harm. He looked up at Ronder and said, quite mildly, "'Is there anything more you want to know?' "'There's talk,' said Ronder, "'about the living of Pibba St. Anthony. It's apparently an important place, and when there's an appointment I should like to be able to form an opinion about the best man.' "'What?' "'Is Morrison dead?' said Foster eagerly. "'No, but very ill, I believe.' "'Well, there's only one possible appointment for that place, and that is Wiston's. Wiston's? repeated Ronder. "'Yes, yes,' said Foster impatiently, "'the author of the new Apocalypse, the rector of St. Edward's Hoston.' Ronder remembered. "'A stranger,' he said. "'I thought that it would have to be someone in the diocese.' Foster did not hear him. "'I've been waiting for this, to get Wiston's here, for years,' he said. "'A wonderful man, a great man. "'He'll wake the place up. "'We must have him. "'As to local men, the more strangers we let in here, the better.' "'Brandon said something about a man called Forsyte, uh, Rex Foresight. "'Foster smiled grimly. "'Yes, he would,' he said. "'That's just his kind of appointment.' "'Well, if he tries to pull that through, there'll be such a battle as this place has never seen.' Ronder said slowly, "'I like your idea of Wiston's. That sounds interesting.' Foster looked at him with a new intensity. "'Would you help me about that?' he asked. "'I don't know quite where I am yet,' said Ronder, "'but I think you'll find me a friend rather than an enemy, Foster.' i don't care what you are said foster so far as my feelings or happiness go nothing matters but to have wistons here in this place oh what we could do what we could do he seemed to be lost in a dream five minutes later he aroused himself to say good-bye ronder once more at the top of the stairs felt about him again the strange stillness of the house End of book One. Chapter seven.